Hey, happy belated 4th of July. I, uh, I hope your weekend has been filled with great celebration, abundant barbecue, and everyone I've talked to tonight still has their eyebrows, so we're good. It's exciting, man. No, I, I don't know about you, but in my neighborhood, there's kind of this sense of camaraderie that takes place. Uh, you know, people have their flags out and, you know, barbecues are happening and fireworks are going off. And I just love this time of the year because it's just different than the normal days. You know, and as I watched this kind of unfold in our neighborhood, I was thinking about Independence Day and I thought, man, although we broke off and we became independent from the British Empire, we became dependent on our nation. We became dependent on each other. And we called it the United States of America. There was new laws, boundaries, and regions formed. Our allegiance shifted, and we called it freedom. Does this sound at all similar to you who have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You go all in with Jesus through faith, and you get God. You receive forgiveness, and you begin to live by the power of the Spirit. Your worldview changes and the rebellious become sons and daughters who live for God with Jesus as their new leader. This is freedom. For several weeks now, we've been walking through the book of Acts. And in Acts, we have um, really gone all the way to chapter 12. And I just want to tell you right now, we are stopping tonight. I, I get to finish us out of square one. I can't believe it. We're through square one. We still have three more to go. All right. But um, we're going to jump back into Acts later on this fall. And, but I get to kind of end us tonight. And I'm excited to, to do this. Um, if you think about it, uh, Jose is in Uganda. And man, just be praying for him. I, I don't know if you follow him on Instagram or Facebook or any of those things, but God is doing a work uh, while he's gone. And it is just so cool, all the things that he's doing in uh, Uganda through Jose and through Jose's teaching. And it's just a blast to, to be here afar and supporting him in prayer. Um, but also just even, uh, I don't know how he does this, but he texts me every so often too. So it's very, very cool. But please, if you think of him, be praying for him. But I'm just blessed that we get to close out uh, 12. And before we get started in 12, though, I got to tell you a little bit of a disclaimer. The first thing is this. There is a ton in Acts 12. It's jam-packed. There's angels. There's Jesus followers dying. There's bad people dying of worms. It's packed. I can't get to all of it tonight. I'm sorry. As I was trying to drum up this message, I was like, oh my goodness, there's four messages in here. And so where I want to hang out tonight is actually the theme of allegiance. This theme is actually runs through all of Acts. We see in Acts 1 that... uh, Jesus followers, the the Jesus movement, the leaders of the Jesus movement got together and they needed to replace Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus and died a little later. Again, the leaders got together and they said, hey, we need a replacement. We need to figure out who's going to be on the team. And so they go to God 
It's not like they sat in a circle and said, hey, we have the best idea. No, they went to God. They were aligned with him. It, this is a, just one picture of their allegiance. We also see that in Acts 3, Peter heals a lame man and the onlookers begin to worship him. And he goes, wait, hold on, hold on. This is not the work of man. This is the work of God. Again, we see their allegiance. We also see that Peter and John, they're sitting in front of the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin says, hey, we know your message. We know who you follow. Stop sharing the gospel. Stop. And what do they say? They say, I'm sorry, we won't be held accountable by you. Our allegiance is with God. We will answer to him. So here in Acts 12, we see two different stories of allegiance that are told. Please start in verse 1 here. It says this, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. This uh, Herod, this King Herod is not King Herod the Great. It's actually the grandson of King Herod the Great. And he was hated by the Jews. He knew about Jesus, his followers, and their message. This was not a new uh, thing to him. He was aware of what was going on. King Herod was highly interested in keeping the Roman peace in Palestine, and therefore he disliked minorities that threatened to disrupt this peace. So in an effort to keep things quiet, what does he do? Verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Herod would like to win a few votes with the Jews. He'd like to gains some popularity. He kills James and sees that this helps. And so he seizes Peter and thinks about doing the same. He probably would have done it immediately, but because it's a festival of unleavened bread, he actually can't because it would be kind of a slap in the face to the Jews because law, Jewish law, did not permit this to take place. They didn't permit sentencing or trial to take place during this festival. And so he didn't want to do that, so he just put Peter in prison. The other thing that I find in this text that's really cool is that look at the plans and the precautions that are made by Herod. Again, he was familiar with the Jesus followers. He knew that Peter had broken out of prison before. He knew that this wasn't the first time Peter's been arrested and so he goes ahead and takes four squads of four different soldiers. He says, man, I got to put this guy on lockdown. I've got to put him in maximum security. Let's continue reading. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. 
He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Peter thinks he's having a dream. Peter thinks, man, this can't be really happening. I must still be sleeping. Let's look here, verse 11. Then Peter, he came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. I think this is amazing. Peter thinks he's dreaming. He gets all the way out to a street. He's out of prison. He gets to a street and finally realizes, like, this is real. I, I just find this hilarious because I don't know if maybe I'm the only one in the room, but I've had dreams like this where I wake up and I'm in a panic because the bad guys are coming. Right? I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one, but that's what's happening in this text. Then he comes to himself and he's like, I got to tell the people that are, are with me. I got to go and tell them. And so here in verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and describe, be quiet. Shh. Don't, don't, don't get too excited. He described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. No small commotion. Peter has done it again. Dang it! This is what Peter, this is, excuse me, this is what he, Herod did not want to happen. He took all these plans. He made all these precautions and Peter still escapes. We also see that Herod ends up being so angry and upset that he kills the guards. I know this sounds harsh. Uh, it is harsh, but this is kind of a common practice that we see in the Roman Empire. You don't do your job as a guard. You're done. You don't get a second chance. You are done. Verse 19, Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So he went back to his home base. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. 
They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So two cities that are at odds with Herod come running for help. Herod controlled their fate because he controlled the commerce. So what will Herod do? On the appointed day, Herod, wearing the royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of God, not of man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Herod and his staff come to a decision on how to handle these two regions. Herod gives his speech. The crowd responds with praise. Herod accepts the praise and then dies. Here in this narrative, we see two different stories of allegiance. Simply, simply put, our first story of allegiance leads to death. Herod lived for Herod. His allegiance was to self. Herod lived for his kingdom, his advancement, and his praise. Herod was self-glorifying. We see him wanting a worshipful type of favor from people. Is this not what he was seeking with the Jews? Is this not what he was seeking with the regions of Tyre and Sidon? He wanted to be praised. We also see that Herod was concerned about what was best for him, his advancement. There definitely was no attitude of, I decrease so that God might increase. This is not an attitude we saw from Herod. We also see that Herod's interested in his own plans. As I've said before, he knew of the Jesus movement. This was not a surprise to him. He had an opportunity to choose God, to trust God. He said no. He actually opposed God. He said, I'm going to throw Peter in jail. I'm going to make my plans. I'm going to take my precautions. Again, Herod was about Herod. This is not the only story, though, of allegiance that occurs in Acts 12. The other story is of the church. For the church, allegiance equals dependence. I'm sure you noticed, but in Acts, in Acts, there's been this really quite a bit of resistance to the momentum of the gospel. There's been a tug of war that's happening within the pages. Here in chapter 12, we see it again. It's like there's this gospel movement, this gospel momentum, and then James dies. Peter is arrested. Friends, these are like two of the church's greatest leaders. And it looks like they're not just going to lose one, they're going to lose two. They're dependent upon God. See, there is a war happening in this text. Evil opposes good. Satan does not want to see the advancement of the gospel. 
This is true in Acts, but it's also true for us. Friends, we need to dress for battle. Seriously, when you're making much of God, when you're walking with Jesus, and when you're following him, it's not all easy. Yes, it's not. The evil one wants to mess you up, period. See, hard times will come. I, I was talking with someone who, who had been a churchgoer for a while. Recently, she said, I've gone to a Bible-believing church, a Bible-teaching church. And one thing that stuck out to me that I never realized before was that even though I love God, that doesn't mean my life is going to be easy. This is real. But see, hard times aren't always put in motion by the evil one. Sometimes it's just the broken world we live in. And for the church, dependence was seen in their prayers. The powerless turn to the powerful one. See, this prayer, though, was an earnest prayer. Let's focus in on something here, this, this word earnest. The Greek here is ektenos, which literally means stretched out. This picture that I get is, is really of my son, Parker. Parker's talking a ton lately. He's two. And uh, the other day, one of the things he said the other day was, I asked him, hey, hey buddy, we, uh, we, we're done in the, in the toy room, which he also calls the wrestle room. We're in the toy room and I asked him, hey, buddy, can you clean up your toys? He looks at me. No, thanks. I'm fine. <laughs> what? This picture, though, that I get of Ernest's prayer, though, has come from Parker. Parker has recently started doing a lot of this. Up, Daddy. Up, Daddy. See, the, the meaning of ectonos is arms stretched out. This idea of surrender, this idea of intimacy. There's another meaning, though, too, is it's actually a consistent asking. And, and what I've noticed with Parker is if I don't immediately respond, he goes, up, daddy, up, daddy, up, da up, daddy. Gets louder and louder and really kind of annoying. <laughs> he asks a lot. He genuinely, wholeheartedly wants up. See, this is what we see in Acts 12. The prayer is wholehearted. It's urgent. And we see that they're asking often. Some thoughts on this type of prayer, I think, is really this idea of need. The church was in great need. One of their main leaders was killed, and the other was on their way to be killed. What I, truly, what I truly believe is that probably sitting here tonight, none of us are in fear of losing our lives because of our relationship with God. But by no means does that mean that we don't need God. We need God. 
We need him to show up. We need him to show up personally. Friends, none of you can sit here tonight and say, Kenny, actually, I don't agree. I have arrived. We all can be more like Jesus. We all can be more full of the Spirit. We all could be a little bit more patient. We could all be a little bit more kind. Oh, did I mention? The scriptures say we are to love our enemies. Well, Kenny, I, I just won't talk to him. No, that's not love. We need God personally. As a church, without God, our time right now as we gather is meaningless. We need God to show up tonight. We need God to show up for our kids' workers. We need God to show up and show them how to best point our kids to Jesus. We need God to show up in the music because we're not here just for good music. We're here to bring glory and honor and praise to God. We need God to show up here as we look at the scriptures because we're hoping that they shape our lives. I was so encouraged a few Sunday nights ago because right back there in the back corner as I was leaving the gathering, I saw a group of people circled together praying. Cool story. A gal who goes to this church, um, Heidi Getz, just left here recently to go to Honduras to be a teacher. I don't know if you all know how this happened, but she got an email. She quit her job and she went. That crew of people back there prayed for her. That's cool. We need God to show up. We need God to do things. And I saw this church seeking God and asking for his help. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we need more of. Also, as we scatter as a church, we need God to show up. We need him to help us love one another better. We need him to honestly give us courage to follow him. Maybe I'm the only one, but this is a difficult task. Not impossible, but difficult. A few more thoughts about earnest prayers. Those in need ask often. The church was stretched out towards God. Their need led them to ask. Friends, do you talk to God? What I'm about to say, I hope it's not, it's, not, it's not to be condemning, but it might be convicting. Your amount of asking God is a reflection of your perceived need. If you don't ask, I'm sorry, you don't see your need. Can you grow in prayer? I sure can. I don't know about you, but when I have been listening to Acts taught, been reading it, I sometimes walk away and go, man, I'm lame. 
I could be a little bit more bold. I could take more risks. When it comes to following Jesus, man, I, the church in Acts, crazy. It's sometimes how I feel even about this prayer. This prayer, this earnest prayer. Kenny, do you get on your knees and you seek God the way we see this text? They're seeking him. I just stand back and go, man, kind of lame. But here, the good news is that actually the church in Acts can grow in prayer as well. See, those who ask, expect. Have you ever prayed just to pray? In other words, a faithless prayer? See, earnest prayer is one of expectation, looking for God to work. It's a prayer of faith. Notice, Peter comes knocking at the door. And last time I checked in the text, Rhoda's the only one who really believes it's Peter. She runs back and she's like, Peter's at the door. And everyone goes, you're crazy. You're nuts. I mean, we've been asking for it, but you're crazy. They can grow in prayer. The family of God must be like Jesus and depend on the Father. In contrast to Herod, the church's allegiance was also shown through being concerned about what God's concerned about. Herod was concerned about his wants and his plans. But as we have worked our way through Acts, we see God's desires are shared by the church. Just to mention a few. One, love the least of these. Love one another. Be my witnesses. I'm not saying they're perfect in these, but they were committed to God's heart despite the cost. They believed God no matter the circumstance. They held on to his truths. I have to mention that in this text, there is a reality that if we just skip over it, I, I think it, does this, it just doesn't do, do justice for us. And I think that's this. James dies and Peter lives. I don't know about you, but if I am James's relative, you better believe I'm asking the question, why? God, why? God, didn't the evil ones just win? God, why would you allow this to take place? I mean, I don't know where everyone at is in this room tonight. You know, I don't know where you guys are with your relationship with Jesus and, and what you're walking in today, but maybe you have similar questions. God, why would you allow this? The answer is, I don't know. What I do know is there will come a time when God won't allow it. This is the great news of the gospel. One day we will be with our king. Home at last, where there is no pain or suffering. Am I saying don't bring your pain to God? Of course not. He saves, he is saving. And one day those who have trusted him will be saved forever. I was talking to my wife about my message. I, I said, hey, read this. Does this make sense? And Kimberly read it and she goes, I was reading this book. I think you should use this quote. 
Patsy Claremont puts it this way. Expect life to be joyful and rugged. Lean into what comes our way. If God has allowed it, it comes with purposes we may not understand yet. Follow the narrow road. It leads to the widest joy. What's it going to take to follow God? To walk with the Spirit and to see the Word of God spread and flourish here in the Sunset Corridor. From the contrast in two stories, we see what makes the difference. Peter and the Jesus followers are committed to God. They're committed to prayer and they're committed to spreading the gospel. Herod and people like him are committed to their own agenda, which forces us to ask a question. Who am I following really? Who is my leader, my king, really? I think tonight I do us a disfavor if I just say, hey, we're going to worship. Hey, we're going to worship God in song. I think we have to evaluate this. I think we have to sit in this for a moment and evaluate our hearts. Is God your king? Is your allegiance to him? There's two types of people in this room. Some of you have not trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The good news is this. His grace is enough. Tonight, I'm pleading with you to make a decision to follow Jesus. He's calling you. He's pursuing you. He's coming after you. He wants you to be his child. He paid your debt. But here's the thing. Grace doesn't just save us. It actually moves us to a better place. And that better place is under the leadership of Jesus. So if you're just sitting here tonight, man, I don't know if I can trust him. I'm pleading with you too. If you're here tonight and you're like, man, I am a child of God, Kenny. That's awesome. I'm excited for that. But what I want you to evaluate is, are there things in your life that you haven't handed over to God? Is there areas that you need God to shape, but you're you're going, ah, no, I think I got this one, God. No, I think I can take care of this. Where's your allegiance? Do you trust him? Will you follow him? I don't know what that is for you. Maybe you're not being the father that God wants you to be. Maybe you're not being the husband God wants you to be. Maybe when it comes to depending on God, you just turn it off. Because you got all this pride and you got all this confidence. I don't need him. I don't know what it is for you. 
Also on my left, we have a baptismal here tonight. Once a month, we do baptisms. Maybe you're sitting in the seat and you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you have not followed him in baptism. You haven't followed him. Out of obedience, you've not said yes to God in this. This is a step. This is a step of obedience. I don't know what it is for you tonight, but I think I'd do us a disfavor if we just go into song. And so Brandon's gonna play for a little while. And I want us to just, just bow our heads and evaluate. And if the Spirit's compelling you at all to trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, then all you have to do tonight, the scriptures say this, confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord and that He saved you from your sin. That's all you got to do. Receive his forgiveness through faith. If that's you tonight, you want to pray that prayer, I would just invite you to do that right there in your chair. But I also want to invite you to baptism. In Acts, we see it all the time. People come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then they're baptized because they want to tell the world what God has done in their lives. Maybe you have again trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you haven't done that. And the Spirit's working in you right now. If either of those people are you, during these next three songs, man, just head over, talk with our elder. Tell him what God's doing in your heart. Please bow your heads and just evaluate for a little while. Eventually, Brandon will lead us in the next song. And when you're ready, sing with him.